Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Uh, it is uh, good to be together, whether you're joining us online or from another campus or sitting right here in this room. It's just good to be heading down this trail off the beaten path together. And uh, I want to start out by just telling you an uh, off the beaten path story. Um, so my, when I graduated from high school, uh, quite a while ago now, uh, my best friend John and I decided... So sort of the beaten path was all our friends were going to go to the beach and do kind of this senior trip thing. <clears throat> and we decided we were going to do something different. We, we decided to go backpacking for a week in Yosemite National Park. And we saved up and we planned and we did it. And it was super cool. So we were out there on the trail and about the third or fourth night out in the backcountry, uh, we camped at this one spot and there was nobody near. There was one other tent like a long ways away. So we slept, we went to sleep, we woke up the next morning to the sound of somebody yelling, like distant yelling. So we're like, oh, what's that all about? So we, we wake up, we kind of unzip the door to the tent to see a big brown bear like 10 yards away from us, right? Sniffing our backpacks. So we had done what we were supposed to do. We put all our food in the bear canisters and we put them really far from the tent, but we forgot that we left a stove uh, which had this, the scent of food and stuff on it in our backpacks, and they were just sitting like right there outside our tent, and the bear was there. So in this moment, uh, pop quiz, multiple choice, what do you think I did? A, quietly zipped the tent back shut and began to pray. <laughs> B, screamed out in fear. C, screamed at the bear. Or D, instinctively went for my camera. What do you think I did? Yeah, you know me well. D, I went for my camera right away. Now, in this moment, before I could really even get a good picture, John uh, grabbed one of his boots and threw it at the bear. He did. It landed short of the bear, thankfully. It wasn't a very good throw. Um, and so in that moment, what do you think I did? Multiple choice. A, made a mess in my pants. <laughs> B, put on both of my boots and said, see you later, John, and left him there. Uh, C, fought the bear to the death, or D, froze and waited to see what was going to happen. Oh, yeah, D again. It was like, okay, we just threw a boot at a bear. What, what's the bear going to do now? Fortunately, thank God, here's what the bear did. Uh, he just like looked up like, oh, didn't know you guys were there. Kind of like, my bad, and just turned and walked off. <laughs> Thankfully, here's a picture. I actually got a picture. There's the bear walking off. There's the backpacks. There's the boot. See, so <laughs> now uh, I do not necessarily recommend the throwing of boots at bears, but here's what I do recommend, getting off the beaten path, okay? Uh, so many of, you know, I, I, I really appreciate interstate highways. I use them a lot. I've been to many of the, the great tourist attractions and enjoy them. And I, I understand why so many people go to certain places, right? But so many of the great stories and the great memories in my life have come from the, the off the beaten path kinds of places, the side trips, the back roads, the trails, the little in-between places that would never make it onto the itinerary that a travel agent would plan. And I think it's the same with scripture. I love and appreciate Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Mary, right? And I, I, we go to those places and we learn so much so often. But we also want to appreciate, and I love how we've been doing this in this series, that it's important not to neglect some of the lesser known characters in God's story. 
So last week, we learned about Habakkuk, right? One of the minor prophets. And I was thinking, you know, he's called a minor prophet, but he still has a book of the Bible named after him. I mean, that's pretty major, right? That's a pretty big deal. So what about all these other hundreds of prophets who, who were really minor, less than minor? They, they didn't get books of the Bible named after him. We've maybe never even heard of them. So today we get to talk about this amazing guy. And um, I, I'm looking forward. He's an awesome, awesome hero of our faith. Maybe many of us have never heard of. I look forward to introducing him to you today if you've never met him. And you've all heard of Isaiah, right? He's Hall of Fame. He's a famous prophet. Today we're talking about Micaiah. Turn to your neighbor and say Micaiah. Micaiah ben Imla, or the, the son of Imla. Now, uh, we're in the Bible, and if we look at the books of the Bible, we're in this section that we call history. And this is just where they just some recording of the history of the people of God in Israel. And then right in the middle of that, there's this book called First and Second Kings. This is a situation that occurs a lot in the Bible. It was originally one work, one long work, but it just gets split up, as with some other ones, into two because of just um, practical realities of like the size of scrolls and things like that, okay? Kings picks up right where Samuel leaves off uh, in the, his, the story of Israel's history and it covers about the next four centuries, a lot of it is repeated or paralleled in Chronicles, the books that come right after it, okay, including today's story. It's in both. Um, it's kind of a sad part of the story. Kings begins with a strong and stable kingdom under a strong and stable king, and uh, it just kind of, it, it ends with collapse and uh, deportation, and con- they're conquered by Babylon and, and, and scattered, it's a pretty sad part of the story of the people of God. Uh, one of the important elements in the book of Kings is the emergence of the prophets. So these people who, they have this job of calling the people back to God over and over again. In the book of First Kings, it begins with uh, King David, the great King David, right? And it's the, sort of the end of his time, and it's the passing of power to uh, his son Solomon. And it's about Solomon and Israel's rise to kind of great power and wealth and influence. Solomon, one of the things he does is he finally builds the temple that David always wanted to build. He takes seven years and and just goes to great expense to build the temple. Part of the problem, though, is that Solomon also takes 11 years and great expense to build his own palace. And you begin to see this diluting of, of the worship of the one true God. And we end up with this divided kingdom. So we have this map. And so 10 of the 12 tribes become uh, what's called Israel. And then two of them become what's called the kingdom of Judah. And they're split, right? Here's Jerusalem, the capital down here. Um, This is the line of David that continues. And then here's Israel. The capital was up here in Samaria. And we're going to leave this map up for just a minute and use it uh, in a couple other uh, ways. So in Kings, we, uh, one of the prophets you've maybe heard of is Elijah, and he has this famous showdown with these 400 prophets of Baal, these, these false prophets, prophets of this, this other false god. Um, he's one of the kind of the well-known prophets. In the, in the time of the kings, there were what, what are called good kings and bad kings, and that just means that some of them promote the worship of, of the one true God, of the Lord, and they're called good kings. And then others, they bring in all of this um, kind of idolatry, and they're called bad kings. In the history of Israel and Judah, the divided kingdom, all the kings of Israel were were bad kings. And and then in the time of the story we're going to look at today, the king in Judah was called Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, that's kind of fun to say. 
He was the fourth king of Judah. He was a good king. He wasn't perfect. But up here in Israel at this time, it's the seventh king of Israel, and he was generally known as the most evil of all the kings. His name was King Ahab. Maybe you heard of him. And actually, if, if that wasn't bad enough, he was married to this gal named Jezebel. And she has the reputation of being maybe even more evil than he was. It was, a, it was quite a duo. So here's the story. We're just going to go through the story of Micaiah. And this is a good day to pull out that Bible app or your Bible if you brought it and follow along. We'll have some of it on the screen. Uh, going to cover a lot of text today and go ahead and say a prayer for whoever's running the slides uh, because I'm going to make them, put them to the test. So here's the story of Micaiah in 1 Kings chapter 22, the last chapter of 1 Kings. It says, for three years there was no war between Aram or Aram and Israel. So that's the region up here, another kingdom, Right? We're also going to look at this city called Ramoth Gilead. Okay, it's a part of the story today. There was no war for, but then it says, um, but in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down, up on the map, down in elevation, to see the king of Israel. The king of Israel, this is Ahab we're talking about, has said to his officials, don't you all know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, and yet we're not doing anything to take it back from the king of Aram. So he, said, he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight? against Ramoth Gilead. Now, sometimes the kings of Israel and Judah, they, would, they were fighting against each other, but sometimes they would kind of team up and fight against these other kings and kingdoms around them, okay? So it says, Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I'm as you are, my people, your people, my horses, your horses. He's, he's like, we're in, we're, we'll go and fight with you, okay? This says, but then Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, and just to pause here and note, do you notice how they, they never say Ahab's name? They've only said, they say Jehoshaphat, but they never say Ahab. They just call him the king of Israel. This is one way the author, I think the author is just, at this point, they're just disgusted by this guy. He's such an evil king, they don't even want to say his name. So he says, first, let's seek the counsel of the Lord, okay? And I want you to notice, when you're reading your Bible, anytime it says the Lord and it's all caps, that is a replacement for Yahweh, the name of the God of Israel. Sometimes they, they don't want to write the name of Yahweh. It's like a respect thing. So they replace it with the Lord. So I will use them kind of interchangeably. I might say Yahweh or I might say the Lord, but that's what we're talking about. The, the one true God, the God of Israel, the big G God. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? They answered, go, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. So there's some interesting things, really interesting things here. So first of all, it says he brought together the prophets. And something is conspicuously absent. Normally it would say, often it would say something like he brought together the prophets of Yahweh, of the Lord. But it doesn't say that here. And Ahab is a classic example of this self-centered leader who had just surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men. He's, he's known to, uh, to have the worship of other gods, small g gods going on in his kingdom. So what this is saying is like, we don't know who these, what God these people actually worship and promote. He's, he's, he says he just brought the prophets, okay? Then it says that they said the Lord will give it into his hand, but look, lowercase, this is just the general word for Lord or God, right? This is not specifically talking about Yahweh, God of Israel. So it's interesting that they choose that there, right? Which God are these guys actually trusting? 
And then even the phrase, into the, it will be given into the king's hand, is interesting because often what it would say would be, it will be given into your hand. It will be given into Ahab's hand. But what they're saying, so basically these guys say, a God will, you know, will give, the, will give it into uh, a king's hand. They're being very vague in general. And basically the author is painting a picture of just a bunch of frauds, okay? These are a bunch of yes men that just are gonna say what the king wants to hear and they're never gonna challenge him. So, but Jehoshaphat asked, uh, okay, I hear you, but is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? And the king of Israel answered, well, I mean, yeah, there is still one that I've allowed to stay around. There's one that's still hanging around uh, through whom we can inquire of Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. And Jehoshaphat is like, okay, this is not the way a king should talk or behave. And it says, so the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. And they're sitting there, they're dressed in their royal robes, they're sitting on their thrones, it's two kings. And it says, this guy named Zedekiah, son of Kenanah, which is also fun to say, uh, he comes up and he prophesies and it said he had made iron horns and he declared, this is what Yahweh says, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. Basically he says, you're gonna win this, this battle. And this is the kind of thing that prophets did. They would do these big dramatic things. It was like performance art and they would have props and they would have images. They would try to create these powerful, memorable visual aids to make their point. And it says all the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead, be victorious. They said, for Yahweh will give it into the king's hand. So now they actually are using the name of Israel's God. And so they're all saying the same thing. Popular opinion is very clear. And this is a moment where we just have to pause and say, warning, danger. Because we know, and any of us who have kids, we've told them the same thing, that popular opinion is not necessarily the same thing as truth, right? There is no necessary correlation between those two things. It's, it, they, sometimes the crowd goes in the right way, often it does not. So the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, look, he, he's giving him a heads up, he's warning him. He says, look, the other prophets without exception, unanimously are predicting success for the king let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. He's saying, look, here's how you survive this. Here's what you do. Tell him what he wants to hear. Tell him what everybody else is telling him. But Micaiah's answer is so great. This right here is why we go off the beaten path. This, what you're about to hear is, is like that sunset that you see that you only got to see because you made that extra hike. It's like that amazing food that you eat at that little hole in the wall restaurant that you only got to be at because you were willing to drive way off the interstate. Here is a quote from one of God's prophets that I will hope, if you remember nothing else from this message today, I hope you will let this verse take root in your heart and mind. So the messenger comes and he says, say what they're saying, for goodness sake, just do, say what he wants to hear. Verse 14, but Micaiah said, 
as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. Only what God gives me to say, that's, that's what I'm gonna say. No less and no more. That's who I am. That's what I'm about. So it says, we're gonna talk more about that in a minute, but it's, that's amazing. It says, when he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? He answered, attack and be victorious for the Lord Yahweh will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? And we're like, wait, what just happened? Right, is anybody confused? Yeah. yeah. All right, well, I, I'm gonna unconfuse you. Let me read this again with the proper inflection and maybe it'll be clearer, okay? When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Micaiah answered, Oh, yeah, by all means, good idea. Definitely do that. Attack and be victorious, for Yahweh will definitely give it into the king's hand, for sure. It is dripping with sarcasm. Micaiah is flat out mocking this guy to his face. That's what's going on right here. And so then you understand why the king, he's frustrated and angry, he says, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? Stop. He's, he's saying, Micaiah, stop making fun of me. You stop it. I mean, I, hes- I almost hesitate to teach this because it's like validating like the use of sarcasm and mockery by this man of God. But this is sometimes what the prophets did. Remember, they are performance artists. They're making a point, right? Now, it's worth noting that this is not a tactic I think that Christians are supposed to use. Like Jesus didn't do this. He didn't model this for us. Um, it's really hard to sync that approach up with the humility that we're supposed to have as Christians. So don't go getting any ideas is what I'm saying. Okay, as a general rule, I would strongly counsel you away from this technique, but it is here. It is something that the prophets did. And, and so then Ahab says, hey, quit it, man. Stop it, you know? And, and, and he does. Micaiah quickly kind of gets back down to business. And he says, it says, Micaiah, then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. These people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. He's saying, you're no king. You're no leader. Do not take these people into war. It's, it's going to be a bad scene. So then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, see, didn't I tell you? He never prophesies anything good about me. Wah. (laughs) And then Micaiah continues in the next few verses, just talk about how God, because this is what God does. He allows Ahab to go in the direction that he chooses to go. He allows him to be deceived by his 400 yes men, fake false prophets. So then it says this guy, Zedekiah, he comes back and he slaps Micaiah in the face and he publicly mocks him. And Micaiah, he just comes back, he he doesn't return that in kind. He he sticks to his way, his strategy. He, He speaks the word of God and he says another prophecy. He says, you'll find out on the day you go hide in an inner room and that's another prophecy that's gonna come true. So the king of Israel then ordered Get this guy out of here, take Micaiah away. In fact, throw him in prison and give him only bread and water until I return safely. And Micaiah declared, 
if you all ever return safely, Yahweh, the Lord has not spoken through me. And he says, mark my words, all you people. And off he goes to prison. And off they go to war. In spite of Micaiah's warnings, his one voice of truth drown out by all these others. So then they go into this battle. And it says, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And we got to point out here that Jehoshaphat, um, he, he, although he was overall, he was a good king. He worshiped Yahweh. He fails here. He also failed to heed the prophecy of Micaiah and the warning. He, he aligns himself with this evil king and he goes along with it. And they get to the battle and uh, Ahab has this idea. He says, hey, Jehoshaphat, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to disguise myself as like a regular soldier. You dress like a king and do the normal king stuff like we usually do. And we'll go into battle like that. And Jehoshaphat, bless his little heart, is like, oh, good idea. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. So they go into battle and it says the king of Aram um, had, uh, where are we? Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. So they go, they see the one guy who looks like a king and they start attacking until Jehoshaphat is like, wrong guy. I'm the king of Judah. I'm not who you're looking for. So they back off. They saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. But it says, but someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections in his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged. And the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot. And that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army. Every man to his town. Every man to his land. And we remember what Micaiah had said about being scattered like sheep without a shepherd. So the king, it says, so the king died and was brought back to Samaria and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. Ahab, who had lived this self-centered evil life, he lied and cheated and stole and killed and did everything he could to try to control things himself instead of trusting God. He dies in this seemingly random way that, that actually wasn't random at all. And the author wants us to see his point here is that God's will and God's justice will be accomplished one way or another. And the best thing that any of us can do is to align ourselves with those things sooner rather than later. You can't escape the will and the, the truth and the justice of God. And so the book of First, First Kings ends it's really sad. It's Ahab's death and his son ascends to the throne in Israel and it says that his son did evil in the eyes of Yahweh because he followed the ways of his father and mother and of Jeroboam and, and he caused Israel to sin. He served and worshiped Baal and he aroused the anger of Yahweh God, God of Israel, just as his father had done. It's a pitiful, pathetic, sad ending to a wasted life and the cycle of evil just continues to the next generation. And it's the end, it's all we ever hear about Micaiah, son of Imla. We're left to wonder whatever happened to him. So, the end. Uh, 
what, like, what have we learned? We have traveled off the beaten path and kind of parachuted down on this little story, this lesser known Bible story. What though can we take away from it and apply to our lives today? And as I've just been reading and rereading and reflecting on this text, there are a couple of simple phrases that God has just continued to bring to my mind uh, to pass along to you today. And uh, they're just core truths that we need to be reminded of over and over again. So here's the first one. Speak truth. Speak truth. The people of God then and now are called to be truth tellers in this world. We are to speak the truth. Your job and mine is to speak truth even when we know It is not what people want to hear. Even when it's inconvenient or scary. Even when we have to speak truth to people who have power and influence over our lives. Even when the odds are 400 against one. We must speak truth. I wonder if you can think of right now, or if you maybe need to ask God to let something bubble up in your mind of a truth that you need to tell in your life. I hope that you'll allow God to to show that to you and maybe what's been holding you back. If we go back to that amazing uh, 14th verse and Micaiah's response to that officer, you know, I know we're off the beaten path here, but this is one of the classic statements of faith in all of scripture. Remember this other guy's like, come on, man, just say what they want you to say. Go with the crowd. Don't upset the king. Don't take the risk. Micaiah, though, he says, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell the king and anyone else only what the Lord tells me. One of the commentaries I read on this, he said, Micaiah's answer ought to burn into the soul of every gospel preacher. And I would add every Christian. This is so important. And here's my question. What if we lived like that? What if we actually applied that as the filter for the words that do or don't get to come out of our mouth? What if in our offices, in our classrooms, in our dinner tables, in our minivans, in our planes, in our trains, in our phone calls, in our text messages, on social media, in our quick little interactions with one another, in our long, deep conversations, what if we limited ourselves to only using words that come from God. I'm not talking about making every word we ever say be a quote from the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is what if every word could be directly connected to biblical truth? What if everything we said could be traced back to God and would honor God and point toward his true character to our hearers? What if we allowed God to transform us into the kind of people who, in the words of James, were quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, and who had control over our tongues. Have you ever actually known someone like that? I know some people that live this way. I'm married to a person who is amazing at this. You know, Some people actually live this way and do that thing that all of our moms told us to do. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And when we say nice there, we don't mean flattering. That's actually what the fake false prophets were doing, right? Nice here means something good, something true. 
something God-honoring, something edifying and encouraging and helpful and kind. Some people actually live that way. I want to be one of those people. These are the people around us who bring healing and hope in our world. So, like, what is a prophet? Here's a simple basic definition of prophet. It's somebody who receives a word from God and then speaks it to others. A spokesperson for Almighty God and Christ followers, that's us. Not just the preachers, okay? This is the calling on our lives. While the rest of the world stumbles and bumbles and searches for what is true, we believe we have found truth, capital T. And so... As God has made us to be, like it's like what Peter says, he's made us to be this, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Declare his praises. You know, there's a lot of declaring going on in our world these days. I just looked up some statistics. This is from Twitter from 2016. There were 500 million tweets per day. That's 6,000 a second. A day's worth of tweets would fill a 10 million page book. That's a lot of declaring. Even bigger, think about Facebook, think about YouTube. You know, video, even more than written words, is sort of the way that our world expresses itself these days. You know, today, anyone, anywhere, can pretty much position him or, self, him or herself as a prophet. All, you do, all I gotta do is get online and just start blasting away, right? You know, actually, just like in Micaiah's day, anyone can claim to be a prophet of the Lord. Anyone could say anything and say, this is a word from God. But here's the difference between Micaiah and the 400 frauds that he faced off with that day, one of them, Micaiah chose to limit himself to the words and the truth of God. And the others said whatever they wanted to say. So question, how do we do that? How do we become people who speak only truth? And how do we know what truth is? That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but I'm gonna give you the very short version of the answer. Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He actually said that of himself. He, he claimed that. He said, I am the truth. So when in doubt, look to Jesus. And if the words that you are thinking about saying, if they align with what he said, and if they are full of things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then they have a chance of actually being true. Let me just repeat in 2017 a few of those descriptors. Kindness, gentleness, self-control, peace. I wanna encourage all of us today to be truth-tellers like Micaiah without inadvertently giving license to any of us to go out there and continue the cycles of anger and hatred and violence and just slap a Jesus sticker on it and say, yeah, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord. If that is what you're doing, 
you're just like the fake prophets of Ahab. If those are the kinds of things that you're doing with your words, then it's not truth that you are speaking. We have to learn to distinguish between facts and between God's truth. You, you know, you can, say, you can say things that are facts. They're proven. They're 100% irrefutable facts. And if you say them in ways that dishonor God and dishonor his creation in every other human being, you're not speaking his truth. We, our job, Ephesians chapter four, we are called to speak the truth in love, in love. Tim Keller says it this way, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. We are to be people who speak God's truth in the same loving way that Jesus did, and we are to do so whatever the consequences, even if it gets you publicly mocked, even if it gets you slapped in the face, thrown into prison, or worse. Which brings me to the second phrase that I wanna share today. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Maybe, maybe should have put that one first because speaking the truth often requires that up front, right? One thing I love about Micaiah, when his moment came, he was not controlled by fear. You think about, it, he's going before Ahab and Jezebel, some of the most evil, murderous people ever. You know, even the great prophet Elijah, when he first was pursued by those two, he ran away and hid in a cave. But not Micaiah. He walked up and spoke God's truth boldly to them. In fact, one of the surprising things as we study this story is that the only thing that happened to him was that he got publicly mocked and slapped in the face and thrown in prison. I would have expected much worse. I bet he, as he walked into that situation, was expecting much worse. And maybe he ended up getting it. We don't know. The story of Micaiah reminds us that we are called to live lives of courage. We live in a scary world. I bet most of us don't have to go more than a couple days to feel like we're in a situation facing 400 to one odds. Maybe you're a student you're getting bullied or made fun of at school. Maybe you are someone who's trying to stay sexually pure and everyone and everything around you seems to mock the idea. Maybe you're a young adult trying to figure out your life and there's all these pressures and expectations and nothing seems to fit. Maybe you're a business person trying to operate ethically and it seems like the only way to get ahead is to compromise that. Maybe you're in some kind of a midlife crisis and you're trying to find purpose and passion again. Maybe you're near the end of your life and it is just really scaring you and or maybe you're facing a disease or maybe you're facing a loss of some kind or maybe you turn on the news every now and then there's terrorists in Spain this week there's terrorists in Charlottesville Virginia hate-filled racist people doing terrible things so what are we supposed to do Micaiah son of Imla shows us the first step I think and that is fear not do not be afraid. You know, 
If you've been around church at all, you probably heard some preacher at some point say the number one command through all scripture, it appears more often than any other command from God to his people is this one, do not be afraid, right? That doesn't mean don't feel afraid. We can't help that. There's scary stuff, but it means don't let fear control you. Don't let it paralyze you. Don't let it, don't give it the driver's seat in your life. Terrorism means using fear as a weapon. Let me ask, what if that just that weapon just didn't work on us? What if it just didn't work? What if we had such an eternal perspective and so and, and just lived without fear to be like Paul and just say, you know what, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm good either way. I'm not gonna live in fear. What if we really believe that love conquers hate? There's nothing to me, there, to me, there's nothing more disgusting and offensive than what we're seeing with this white supremacy stuff. Maybe you're with me on that. It is utterly out of sync and opposed to the gospel message. In Christ, there is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All people are equally loved and equally valued by our creator. And anyone who says differently is a fake prophet. Now, this has always been the clear conviction of the church. Okay, that's not anything new. But when, I, when we see this stuff still in our world, it makes us sick, it makes us angry, and we are presented with a choice for how to respond. So how will we respond, with love or with hate? Because if we choose to respond with hate, we're just doing some version of the same thing that they are doing. And if, are we gonna respond with faith or with fear? Because if we react out of fear, they're winning. But if we react out of faith in the same God who was on the throne in the day of Micaiah and Ahab and Jezebel and who is still on his heavenly throne today, then that can change everything. The other thing that we preachers always say when we say that first thing is that that command is always accompanied by a promise. And it's the number one most common promise all throughout all of scripture from God to his people. He says, do not be afraid because I am with you. And I will be with you. Question, how can we live lives of courage like Micaiah? I think the answer is by truly grasping that God is with us and for us always and everywhere. So that in the word, like in the words of Paul in Romans 8, we can say, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I hope that you will remember Micaiah son of Imla. I hope you'll kind of make a little special place in your heart for him and his story. I hope it won't be too long before you're once again off the beaten path and you find your way to 1 Kings 22 or 2 Chronicles 18 to be reminded by this guy of our, some of our calling and our identity as the people of God. And most of all, I hope you will live as he lives, speaking the truth without fear in all situations and circumstances. The thing that Micaiah's life ultimately pointed toward happened hundreds of years later in Christ and on the cross where it was ultimately proven and settled and made super clear to the whole world what, who our God is and what he's all about. Uh, there's this quote that has stuck with me and never left me. I heard Gary Haugen of International Justice Mission speak years ago and he said, Jesus did not come to make us safe or comfortable. He came to make us brave. Jesus 
makes us brave. So if God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. So let's be people who speak the truth in love, who do not live in fear, all to the, to the glory of God and in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. May that be so in our lives. Let's end with a word of prayer. Loving God, we thank you for this day and this time together. I thank you for your great story and how you raised up prophets to call us back to God, and you do that even today. And I thank you for Micaiah and his boldness and his commitment to only let your words come out of his mouth, and we wanna be like that. And more, more than that even, God, we thank you for Jesus who just has made so clear who you are and how much you love us all. May we be people who speak the truth in love and do not live in fear because of the victory that Jesus has won. We pray in his name, amen.